I'm Emma G. Rose. I'm Shell Shearer. We're indie authors. And this is Indie Book Talk. Hello and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today we have Audrey Hannigan, who is the author of The Case of the Canine Capers, and I love the alliteration in this title. I just want to say it over and over like a tongue twister. It's adorable. Uh, Before I get completely distracted, hello, Audrey. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, definitely. So I just read The Case of the... Now, I I don't remember the name. Canine Capers. Canine Capers. (laughs) And I know a little bit of your backstory, but would you share for the audience, like, what drove you to write this story? Sure. So... I would say the catchphrase is representation matters. I grew up in a small Midwest town in the 1970s. You know, not a lot of options for any any of the kids kind of in my local area. It was become a school teacher, join the army, work at the local grocery store. But one of the things that I really captured my attention during that time was I started reading a lot of books uh, and especially the Nancy Drew mystery series. And it just opened this world of possibilities for me, you know, reading about this strong, adventurousome, courageous, independent woman, you know, who was about my age, who was off, you know, solving mysteries, flying to different cities, driving her little roadster cars, standing up to adults and being able to figure out kind of who stole the clock, who ran me off the road. It just, it created this kind of the visual of there were other options for me. There are other things that I can do. It just opened my mind to the possibilities. And that that belief in myself, that belief in there are other possibilities, other paths that I can follow has followed me throughout my entire career. It inspired me to, you know, leave home at 17 to go to the United States Military Academy and join the army for eight years and jump out of airplanes and live in two different international countries. It was just this Seeing the representation of a strong female character inspired me to become the person that I am today. But one of the things that was always missing for me is in the 1970s, it's all, you know, boy meets girl, Jack and Jill, Jane and John. It's all heteronormative. I didn't figure out that I was part of the LGBT community until I was in my 20s because I never met anybody. I I didn't know anybody like that growing up. I didn't see it represented in the literature that I read. So part of the inspiration for The Case of the Canine Capers was reimagining the Nancy Drew series, but with LGBT representation. But it's not a in-your-face, you know, activism, you know, you know, fight against the world type of representation. It's just the sense of these are normal kids. This is just another aspect of their normal personalities like hair color or height or nationality. It's just a part of their backstory. But it gives that representation of, hey, this is normal. There are there are people like this everywhere, and this is fine. It's just another normal aspect of, of their personality to give that representation to that next generation growing up. Yeah, I have to say, like I said, I just read it not too long ago. And having read the description of that you were trying to represent the LGBTQ community, I was expecting it to be like more upfront. But I was very pleased to find that it was it was a non-issue in the book. Like you didn't like shine a spotlight on it. It was like halfway through the book and it was just like casually mentioned and then a few other things mentioned here or there. It was no different than them introducing, you know, their boyfriend Bob. It was right. it was very well done. And I, I thought it was a a great representation of what you were trying to pull off. Thank you. 
So I've got the second book just came out right before the Christmas holidays. It's called The Secret of Smuggler's Inn. And I'm now starting to work on the third book, which is The Trouble at Big Timber Lodge. So yeah, I, I like alliteration. Me too. And I'll, I'll weave a little bit more of the community into some of the later stories. But again, it's going to be a backstory. It's not going to be the main plot or the main character flaw that has to be kind of overcome in the character. It's just representation of the community going about their, their normal kind of everyday lives. I think that's so important, too, because there's this danger that every story that has LGBTQ members becomes like about coming out or Mm -hmm. about the struggles of being in that community Mm -hmm. and it gets tiring after a while like sometimes you just want to read a story where somebody like you is just living their life and you know doing something that's not directly related to a struggle or you know a challenge I, I see that too in like the plus size community people talking about being healthy at any size and all of that stuff and then when you have a main character who is bigger than a size two suddenly it's like the whole plot is about that Mm -hmm. and about and there that's a thing but it doesn't have to be the only thing so I really like this idea of and and this this quest to sort of present this community in a way that's just these are who these people are and we don't have to make it a big deal because it's just normal it's just life especially for a young adult yeah yeah I was really struck a number of years ago when Obama was in the White House and now Kamala Harris. And you'd see these stories of, you know, little kids who would just be in awe of, hey, there's somebody who looks like me. And there's no big conversation and there's no moral story kind of behind it. It's just this person looks like me. I I saw commercials recently for The Little Mermaid, you know, reimagined. And again, it was the focus of the commercial was just they look like me. They have hair like me. They talk like me. And it's the sense of I am normal. I am part of kind of culture. You know, I am not just a minority. I am not just kind of, you know, relegated to the sidelines. I am a part of society. That's that's where representation really kind of matters. I was listening to a, a, a podcast just recently, and it was talking about the latest iteration of chatbots. And they had the story where, you know, the, the new artificial intelligence is what takes all the books that have ever been written are programmed into the computer. And mm-hmm. then you can feed in questions like, write a romance story about two mm-hmm. people living in Vancouver. And it will actually write a story, but it's it's aggregating the collective set of literature that was kind of fed into the program to create kind of an average story. And it was well written, but one of the key points that they talked about was the potential for inherent bias in the system. Because if the majority of the literature that you feed into the system, it's going to create stories that reflect that majority view or that cultural norm. So I think it becomes even more important in the future that there are stories like this that have representations of minority perspectives or or different points of view because if you're looking for if we're going to have you know chatbots starting writing books in the future you know you want to feed in more diverse characters so that it has a wider range of information that it can aggregate to come up with these stories. Yeah, we don't want AIs writing our stories. No, no, we don't. No, <laughs> but I mean, it's true of the human mind too, right? If you if you expose the human mind to enough situations, as you found out when you joined the army and went off and lived in all these places, you you expand your mind by by being in new situations, by meeting new people, and so when we give people diverse stories, 
we're expanding the collective consciousness and making uh, more possibilities for people that maybe they never noticed before or thought were available to them. Right. And again, it doesn't have to be big stuff. I, I read a book a couple of years ago that was set in Ashland, Oregon, and they were talking about the the Shakespeare Festival that runs in Ashland every year. I was like, oh my God, I've never, you know, I've never read about this. I'm 50 years old. I've never heard about Ashland or the Shakespeare <laughs> Festival, and I love Shakespeare. So we made a point of making a trip to Ashland just to go see the Shakespeare Festival, and it was phenomenal. They had these this amazing kind of venue, and the whole town was kind of centered around it. But again, but for that book that I had read, never mm-hmm. would have known it was a thing. So it's just this expanding our minds to there are more opportunities and, and potential things we could do out there. And this is just giving you inspiration for who you could become or what you could do. Now, have you had any, because I feel like this always happens, that somebody will come out and go, oh, but your book isn't gay enough. It's not black enough. It's not disabled enough. Like people want this particular definition of of whatever they identify as. Have you had anybody pushing in that way or do people seem to be just happy to read the book and enjoy the mystery? So far, the response has been really positive. Nothing like that has come up. Um, I was actually worried when I first wrote the books and published them that I would get the opposite, that people would you know, buy the book and start reading it, thinking it was heteronormative, and then be surprised and shocked that it was LGBT mm. characters, and then be upset and, you know, post bad reviews. This is not what I was expecting. I haven't gotten any of that either. Um, most Good. of the responses that I have got have just been more about the, hey, Audrey, this was better than I expected. <laughs> you know, we didn't have high expectations for you as a writer, but this, this wasn't bad. <laughs> Um, so I've been getting all of those that. responses. <laughs> you know, the pacing is good. The story is good. It's, a, it, you know, a nice tight character. I'm happy with that feedback. I, I haven't gotten enough wide distribution to get a, a little bit more of kind of the either of the two, the, the two ends of the extremes so far. Give it time. There's going to be some eventually. It's going to happen. So that brings me to what brought you to start writing? Was it because you wanted to tell this story or because you like writing in general? I actually convinced myself for decades that I hated writing. And it was, I was in between uh, two jobs. I had kind of the summer off and my partner just kept teasing me. As you can see, I've got, this is the start of my library. You know, my dream growing up is to have a whole room with just bookshelves lining kind of the walls as it should be. So she kidded me around the fact of, you know, you've read enough, you've bought enough, and you've read enough books, you should be able to start cranking these out instead of buying the entire library or the entire bookstore every time you go in. So I had the summer off, I had a little bit of time, I started it. And what I realized is I actually love writing. I hate writing when I don't have inspiration. I hate writing when it's kind of a, you have to write on this topic that I have absolutely no interest in it. But I got to say, I've been writing for about the last three years, different books that are in very various stages of publication. And the writing bug has completely bitten me. I'm already starting to work on whether the next two books that I can write in, in 2023. So I'm a, I'm a late bloomer to this particular craft, but I absolutely love what I'm doing. Now, that, that doesn't take away from being able to buy out the whole bookstore, though. You can still totally do that while writing. <laughs> I need inspiration and ideas. It's research. <laughs> Very cool. So you did the independent publishing? You self-published? I did. I tried to go the traditional route for the first couple of years, but I basically got impatient with the process 
and worried that I had too much of a backlog of books that were waiting to be published and I needed to, to clear my, my plate, so to speak, so I had room to focus on, on the next books that I was thinking of. So I went ahead and did the indie route. I published on Amazon this summer. I just published through draft to digital And the process today is, you know, head and shoulders over the horror stories that I heard 5, 10, 15 years ago. It really does create a whole world of possibility for independent uh, writers to be able to publish their work. The whole challenge on the back end is the marketing aspect of how do you get your book in front of enough people that you get enough people who are willing to fork over a little bit of money to, to kind of buy it. So I'm still struggling on the marketing side. So uh, my partner calls it my little vanity projects that keep me occupied while she's off earning money to, to pay the mortgage and the rent, but <laughs> it, it keeps me busy and it's a, it's a fun little hobby. Yeah, being an author isn't going to get most people rich. <laughs> but it sure is fun. Have you done any marketing that you feel like, oh, that kind of worked? Or are you really still in that early stage of like, okay, how do I do this? Yeah, I'm still very much kind of in the early phases. I've tried a, a couple of different tr- techniques just to kind of kick the tires and kind of test out what might work. Tapping friends and families using Facebook networks, LinkedIn networks. I tried finding Facebook groups that have book recommendations, you know, young adult book writers. I've done postings through there, but there's so many people you just kind of get lost in kind of the masses. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just recently started trying Amazon ads and I'm still kind of playing around with the bid and the dollar limit per day and the keywords. I'm getting a little bit better response with the Amazon ads than I did through the Facebook post. But yeah, tapping in, tapping in into your network, friends and families, getting referrals, a cousin who used to be a teacher who's connected with a local bookstore and teachers association, that's a better route for me than anything else that I've tried. Well, as Emma keeps insisting, it's best to get your face out there live in front of people. So you could always do an independent bookstore nearby or a book signing or, you know, read a chapter to a bunch of YAs that come in for a group or something. I love that I don't have to say this anymore. And it's like become (laughs) Shelly's earworm. Now she's saying it for me. I love that. I was actually going to say, Audrey, that you would be a great speaker because you've had a really interesting life even before the whole publishing a book thing. So I think Mm -hmm. uh, lots of kids would be really interested to hear what you have to say. You could bill yourself as a speaker to local schools. Definitely. Yeah. That's a fun route too, because you get to actually see and talk to the kids and hear their stories. And it's always, it's always enlightening to hear the kids' stories told back to you. Then you have to deal with that whole, I'm an introvert. I like being a hermit. That would put, put me out in public. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I got to work myself up, up to something like that. Like, you know, I took the first step. I've got my book into the local library. I want to, you okay. know, go and take a picture of my book on the bookshelf to prove that it actually happened. And then I can approach the front desk and, and offer to do a reading for him. So I got I to gotta work myself up to this. So I'm going to get back to that. So that brings up a good question. How did you get your book in the local library? Did you donate it or... No, this is unique to kind of my local area. So I live in Vancouver, Canada. We're part of the Fraser River Valley kind of library network, but they have a program to promote independent local authors. So you can submit your book, they'll put it in this program, they'll buy a couple of copies and they'll put it in circulations for about a year, but they'll promote it as local independent author. So that was the way in which they... 
it took them like two days to make a decision and, and come back and say, oh, yeah. It, and the criteria was, are you Canadian? Do you live in this area? Do you have a book? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, librarians who are listening, do that. We like yeah, this. That is, this is a good that plan. That is awesome. We got to get a hold of someone that does that so we can get them on here. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. great you know, publicity for you. But I'm totally on board with the whole introvert speaking in front of people thing. I, I swear, when I first do it, Emma, Emma's going to have to fly down to Virginia and stand beside me. And be like, I will. I will. I'll be your hype man. I'll, I'll show up and be like, okay, everybody, it's Shelly. You know, like they do on oh, you know, the, the, the guy who comes and warms up the crowd. Yeah. Well, I'm good so, at yeah. this. And we'll just fly out to Vancouver and be your wingman there, Audrey. We'll just- <laughs> and the irony is I actually worked in a global financial organization for about 20 years. And my job was I was a corporate leadership development trainer. So I'm used to standing up in front of large groups of people. But every time I do it, it's a bit of a take a deep breath. It, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, get through the day. So, Oh, I, I speak all the time for my job. I, I- go to conferences and speak, but not about my creative writing. That's a whole different ballpark. <laughs> somebody somebody should hire themselves out as like an author's face where like, no, 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 this is a great idea. You go to a book event, right? And the author's there and they'll sign the books, but the author's face gets up and tells the story of the author. So the author doesn't have to. This is, a, this is great. If anybody wants to hire me to do this, send us an email. Indiebookpodcast at gmail.com. It, we'll do it. It'll be fun. And then the author just has to stand up and go, hey, it's her. Just- <laughs> this is Shelly. And then you can just be like, yeah, yeah, okay. it's great. This is a good idea. So, uh, I've right, distracted so us. <laughs> so you say you're working on the next books as well as other series. Yes. And you've already got a couple going more for the your, your version of the Nancy Drew. I don't. Do you have a series name? The Madison Steel Mysteries. Okay, good. What else are you working on? So the other book that I'm working on is a nonfiction book. It's kind of part memoir, part leadership development kind of theory. So I was at West Point. I was in the Army for eight years. I have a a good friend of mine that I went to high school with reached out to me a couple of years ago and goes, hey, my daughter is about to go to West Point. haven't talked to her in, in 30 years, but it really kind of got me thinking about my time in the military and my time at West Point. And I wanted to create a bit of a, a letter to my younger self of what did I learn through that experience of going to West Point and being in the Army that I have applied in the corporate world in leadership development. And it ended up turning into this 340-page behemoth of <laughs> all of my stories of things, stupid things that I did in my 20s when I was in the military. A little bit of the, the leadership development theory around what explains why it works or why it turned out the way it did, you know, why we mm-hmm. kind of went off the rails, and then how that also applies to the corporate world. So working in a, in a large global bank, the same principles apply. So uh, the the, t- the working title is Leading by Example, Everything I, I Know About Leadership I Learned in the Army. Something something along those lines. Okay. Okay. So if people want to follow up on that book when it comes out and or keep track of you and what you're doing with, tell me the name of the series again. Medicine Steel Mysteries. The Medicine Steel Mysteries. Then where can they find you on the internet? The easiest way is Facebook. So I'm on Facebook as Audrey Hannigan. I also have a okay. LinkedIn account where I have more of my kind of professional kind of credentialing, but but Facebook is probably the easiest way to do it. 
All right. So you don't have a separate author Facebook. You just have your, your main Facebook. Correct. Yeah, I, I haven't created a separate one, but, but I created it three weeks ago in anticipation of this podcast because I knew you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> so go be among Audrey's first friends on Facebook, everyone, um, and keep poking her so she'll write more books and maybe get out and do some speaking or something. I mean, just saying. But thank you so much for being on the show, Audrey. It yes, was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much.